morning, church. It is so good to see you today. Uh, it's so wonderful to be able to worship uh, together. I, and I hope that we come to this time uh, with expectation. Uh, I hope we come ready uh, for what God's Word has for us. We, we want to hear from Him. We want our lives to be transformed by His truth. I hope that's why you're here today. Uh, I'm so excited to open God's Word with you from the book of Colossians. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, we'd love for you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you and you don't like using an app on your phone, totally get it. Uh, there's, uh, there's Bibles in that rack right in front of you. And if you turn to page 984, that should be where you find our passage this morning, Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. And as you are turning there or getting it on the app, I, I, if you're a guest with us, uh, we want you to know right from the beginning, this is how we start every single message, by letting you know that we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. Inerrant in the original manuscript, sovereignly preserved through the generations, so that through the reading of this book and the illumination of God's Spirit, we can know God, and we can love Him, and we can follow Him, and we can worship Him. And, and we believe so much in the sufficiency of Scripture that we don't think that what I have to say today matters at all unless it agrees with what God's word says. We want to collectively be a church that believes it does not matter what I think. What matters is what the Bible says. And I'm going to add to that thought in a few minutes. But, but this is why we want you to see God's word for yourself today in Colossians 3. This is what changes us. This is what matters. It's not about my opinion. It's about the truth of God's word. And I could always mess this up, but God's word always gets it right. And, and we're going through... Uh, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae uh, with this purpose in mind, uh, that we would see the supremacy and the centrality of Christ in everything, including our own lives. So Colossians has, has moved uh, from chapter 1, in, in Paul talking about the, the supremacy and the centrality of Jesus over all. We, we spent a long time in our Christmas series going through that paragraph, which is all about the supremacy and centrality of Jesus over all. And it's moved from that to chapter 3, the, supre the supremacy and the centrality of Jesus in us. Right? He's not just overall, he is in us. Because unless and until Jesus is at the center of our hearts and our minds and our affections, nothing else is going to make sense. Until he is who we value the most, we won't value other things correctly. We need to be so filled with Jesus that there's no room for anything else because the Bible does not point us to a system and it doesn't point us to a program. What does it point us to? points us to a person, and his name is Jesus, and when you really find him, you don't have to search anywhere else, because Jesus is the treasure who contains all of the treasure. This is what keeps us safe from false teaching and temptation and anything that tries to imply that Jesus is insufficient, and that we need to add other stuff to him or rely on something other than him. No, no, no. If it is not of or from or found in Christ, I don't need it, and I don't want it. I hope that is the response of your heart. And, and, and we're in a section of chapter 3 that describes life with Christ as out with the old and in with the new. Because Christianity is not just about what we are against or what we don't do. It's not just a list of don't you dares and you better nots. 
Okay, that's, if that's how Christianity was presented to you, you, you missed a major part of it. It's not just don't you dare and you better not. No, it's, it's not just about what we run from. It's about who we are running to. It's about what we are for. It's about what we put on, not just what we put off. And this new life is, is so much deeper than just behavior modification. Because as we talked about, the Bible doesn't really value Behavior modification in and of itself, because externals can never save us. They can never save us. It doesn't matter if we honor God with our lips, if our hearts are, from, are far from him. If, if, if behavior modification is all that we focus on, then at best, we will end up like the hypocritical religious leaders who Jesus described as whitewashed tombs. Right? They, they look beautiful on the outside, but they are dead on the inside. That's not what we're aiming for. That's not what Christianity is about. The Bible values a transformation of our identity. We are in Christ, which leads to a transformation of our minds. We set our minds on Christ. We seek the things that are above where Christ is, we, which leads to a transformation of our character and our actions. We become like Christ. It's our identity, our minds, and then our character and actions. That's the pattern that I think we're seeing play out in chapter 3. Since our identity is in Christ, we set our minds on Christ, and we become like Christ's, like Christ. And so as followers of Jesus, we aren't becoming something different from who we are. We already are in Christ if we have placed our faith in him. Sanctification is becoming who Jesus has already made us to be. We are becoming like him. It's living out the identity that we have already been graciously given. So we have already put on the new self. When we place our faith in Jesus instead of ourselves, our position in Christ is secure because it's not based on what we've done, it's based on what Jesus has done. And now, from that position, we are progressively putting on who Jesus is and putting off what is still earthly in us. Does that make sense? We're, we're tracking with that? This is what we've been talking about. And if, you, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, uh, this passage, I just want you to know, was written to Jesus followers, and, and so it, it can offer a preview for you of how God wants to transform your life, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And so I'm so glad that you are here to consider these truths with us. If you're online with us, welcome. I'm so glad that you're thinking through this and, and want to hear from God's word today. And, and brothers and sisters in Christ, for you, what I am about to read is the natural progression of our new identity. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start back in the passages that we covered last week, verses 12 through 17. So we see this paragraph as a whole, and then we'll go back through verses 15 through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's your identity. You are God's chosen ones. You are already holy. You are loved. You've been set apart from him. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now here's the section we covered this morning. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. 
to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That verse right there, verse 17, is the climactic destination of this put-on paragraph. And, and, and it's the climactic destination, I would suggest, of the Christian life. If you want to know where following the leading of the Holy Spirit will take you, it's Colossians 3.17, being your reality on a day-to-day basis. But, but before we get there, uh, did you notice... Uh, the theme of thankfulness in each of these three verses. The end of verses 15, 16, 17, all talk about thankfulness. Verse 15, and be thankful. Verse 16, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thankfulness, thankfulness, thankfulness. As kids, we are taught to say thank you, right? As one of, I would say, three statements that are just sort of ingrained in your head as a kid. You expect your children to say, please, thank you, and I'm sorry, right? Uh, at bonus points for, I'll entertain myself so you can take a nap, right? That, <laughs> that doesn't happen in my house. Okay, so please and thank you are, are just good manners, just good manners. But the Bible calls us to do more than that. The Bible doesn't just call us to say thank you. It calls us to be thankful, And there's a difference. God doesn't want thank you to just be a statement. He wants it to be a state of being in your life. He doesn't want thank you to just be a statement. He wants it to be a state of being. Thankfulness is a defining character quality of those who belong to Jesus. Uh, On Thursday night, I had the privilege of speaking at the celebration of life uh, for our dear friend and sister, Danya Guzman, And one of the defining character qualities of her life that so many people talked about was that no matter what, even in very difficult circumstances, Danya was thankful. She was a thankful person. She had a heart of gratitude. Why? Because she had Jesus. She had Jesus. And and most people are drawn towards thankful people and away from discontent people. Right? That's just naturally. We like being around thankful people. We don't like being around people that aren't content. Right? I, I always remember the quote uh, from Pastor John's grandma. Nobody likes a whiner. Right? I, I think Pastor John's grandma nailed that. People that are never satisfied drive us crazy. Nothing challenges my sanctification as a parent faster than a child that complains about being bored two seconds after we just finished an activity together. Right? Like two, two seconds, right? I'm bored. That's a weird way to say blessed. Like you missed, messed up the pronunciation of that. You're at Disney World. I'm bored. You're blessed. Okay? Like say it better next time, right? Can we be thankful for just three minutes before we ask for the next thing? Am I the only parent that has that desire for my children? Right? Just, can we just be thankful for like eight seconds? That'd be great. And, and as draining as that is, it is equally filling when you encounter someone who's just genuinely grateful and content with what they have. Isn't that so nice? We're just so thankful and so content. And I would observe that thankful people often have less than complaining people. 
It's not about how much they have. It's about the condition of their heart, right? And so how do we fulfill the command for thankfulness? How do we fulfill this command that we see over and over again in verses 15 through 17? How does thank you go from a statement to a state of being? What, what enables a life of thankfulness? That, that's the question that I want us to let these three verses answer as we see what should be true of our new identity in Christ. So look back at verse 15 with me. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankfulness, thankful. So, so a life of thankfulness is, is first enabled by the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. The peace of Christ ruling. Uh, once again, the picture of putting these things on, that, that picture that Paul's using in verses 12 through 17, uh, is an external picture, it's like putting on clothes, but it's describing an internal reality. A life of thankfulness is enabled by a heart, by a heart that is ruled by the peace of Christ. And man, there's so much to think about here, and I'm excited. So here we go. Uh, since in this section, Paul is talking about becoming who we are in Christ, all of these instructions are teaching us both who Jesus is and what it means to follow him, because we should see those things as one and the same. When you're learning about who Jesus is, you're learning what it means to follow him, because a follower of Jesus becomes like Jesus. They're, they're one and the same. We put on kindness, humility, patience, and forgiveness, because that's who Jesus is. And we're following him. We're not just following him. We are in Christ. He is our new identity. The peace of Christ rules in our hearts because Jesus rules in our hearts. This is what it means to become a follower of Jesus. You are saying, the battle for the throne of my heart is over. I've seen what it looks like when I'm in charge. I've seen what it looks like when I live based on my feelings and my impulses and what I want to do. I need Jesus to be the king of my heart and the king of my life. Transformation then, is not the result of a king just ruling over us. No, it's a king ruling in us. It's a huge difference. This is not just a king ruling over us. It's a king ruling in us. The, the former, a king ruling over you, might lead to external compliance, but the latter, a king ruling in you, changes everything. This is at least part of why Jesus was rejected and crucified. Because the Israelites were waiting for someone to bring them peace. A savior that would give them national, political peace over their enemies. And Jesus did come to establish a kingdom of peace. And of the increase of his government and, his, and of peace, there will be no end. That, that is definitely true. But before bringing physical, political peace, Jesus came to bring us what? Spiritual, spiritual peace. To dwell in our hearts through faith. So yes, there will be an eternal kingdom where peace reigns because Jesus reigns. And that should be previewed by Christ's peace ruling in our hearts now. 
And Paul doesn't have us as individual beneficiaries in mind when he says this. Individual transformation is once again, in verse 15, seen within community. The peace of Christ ruling in our hearts leads to our oneness with the church. Right? We have been called in one body. Christ's peace in you leads to unity in the church. So if you've always thought of church as just an event that you attend on a Sunday... Uh, I, I hope that you are allowing Colossians 3 to change your mindset. We, we are called to be so much more than what you see for just an hour a week on a Sunday morning. Uh, we are a community. We are a family. We are one body. I mean, you can't get much more connected than that, right? Dependent on one another, connected to one another. And, and why is that unity and peace with each other possible because we have peace with God yes but this verse is pointing to a reality that I think goes a couple steps further than that we don't just have peace with Christ and we don't just possess the peace of Christ the peace of Christ possesses us it rules our hearts because Christ possesses us so, so here's the question that we should be thinking about when we read verse 15 do you see this reality progressing in your life? I think this verse gives a great sign for whether we have truly embraced Jesus' rule in our lives. Because if Jesus reigns in my heart, then peace will reign in my heart. Because Jesus is not anxious. Jesus does not worry about tomorrow. Jesus is not quick-tempered. Jesus is not discontent. Those are earthly things that we've been called to root out of our lives so peace can reign, so Jesus can reign, and so unity with one another can be experienced and thankfulness is naturally expressed. And, and so we can't take the cop-out, church, of saying, well, I'm just an anxious person. That's just who I am. Or, or I'm just a worrier. Or I just have a short fuse. That, that, may, that might be who you were without Christ, and it may be something that you still need to root out of your life, but it is not, if it's not who Christ is, then it's not who you are in him. Like, have we embraced that? This is, this is what it means to find your identity in Jesus. If it is not of or from or found in Christ, then it's not me anymore, right? I don't need it and I don't want it. It no longer defines you because Jesus defines you. And man, there is so much freedom that has already been won on your behalf that is just waiting for you to embrace, right? You, we don't have to control everything, and we, we can, uh, we don't have to control everything that we can, and then worry about the rest, because I think that's the way a lot of you live. You just try to control as much as possible, and then what you can't control, you stay up at night worrying about. No, 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 no. Let the peace of Christ reign in your hearts. Let's keep going. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to, to God. So if, if verse 15 explains the transformation taking place in your heart, verse 16 explains the transformation taking place in your mind. A life of thankfulness 
is enabled by the word of Christ dwelling. A life of thankfulness is enabled by a mind that dwells on the words of Christ, the truth of the gospel. And based on this verse, I could add to what I always say at the beginning of a message. It doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what the Bible says. So what the Bible says needs to become what I think. It doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what the Bible says. So what the Bible says needs to become what I think. Because transformation doesn't come from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. So if the word of God is foreign to your mind and foreign to your thinking, if what the Bible says is constantly at odds with what you are thinking and what you want to be true, if if that's what you experience in your life, you have what you think and what the Bible says, and they're constantly fighting with each other, that doesn't lead to transformation. That leads to frustration. All right, so a lot of people are frustrated with God because he keeps calling them to do things that their mind doesn't want to do. That's not how you think, right? This is why people who don't know Christ can hear the same words that might be transformative to you and just be frustrated by them. You think you just heard the best message ever and it doesn't even make a dent in their thinking. Why? Because God's truth isn't dwelling in their minds yet. It is outside of them, not inside of them. And, and I'm apologies in advance for all the parenting analogies this morning, but this is my stage of life. Are you ready for another? Here we go. Okay. Why are my children frustrated that they have to clean their room and do their homework before they can play after school? Because that's not the order of events in their minds. Right? That's not what their mind says that they should do when they get home from school. Right? Their minds are saying, I need to play right now. Right? Right this minute. I want to do this and I want to do this. Their mind isn't saying, I need to clean my room. Right? And and I, I can't wait to get my homework done. That's not what their minds are doing in that moment. Right? And, 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 and so, and, and so, my instructions are outside of them, not inside of them. What does that lead to? Frustration. Same thing. What they are doing, what their minds are telling them to do, is not inside of me. It is outside of me. <laughs> right? And so what am I? I'm frustrated because their minds are, are doing things that is not internal to me. That is way outside. I'm like, what in the world are you thinking right now? Frustration. Frustration. This is why God's truth can't just be something that we hear on Sunday. It must be something you fill your mind with daily. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. On your law I meditate day and night. We read the word. We sing the word. We memorize the word. We have conversations about the word. Because unless our minds are transformed, our lives won't be transformed. If we don't think like Christ, then we won't live like Christ. Because how we think determines how we live. This is why we should have a lot of patience and compassion with someone who is just starting to follow Jesus. And if that's you today, and man, you're like, man, this seems really hard, and it's all foreign to me, and I'm not sure if I get it, uh, let me tell you, I understand. Right? Some of this is still foreign to you, and it's not going to happen overnight. 
but I don't want you to give up in this moment because it is so worth it. It gets so much better. Commit this year to filling your mind with God's truth daily. If you could just do that and and just see how the Holy Spirit will start to transform your life. I'm really praying that this will be a light bulb moment for some of you today, especially if you feel like you're stagnant in your relationship with Jesus, or maybe you just keep giving into temptation and you don't know why, or your life doesn't really reflect Christ's, and if you weren't in church, you might even be willing to admit that you're not sure if you care very much. And here's what I would say. You will never consistently live for Christ unless your mind is filled with the word of Christ. Because transformation is not outside in, it is inside out. If the word of Christ is an external list of rules and not an internal guide to your thinking, transformation will never be consistent in your life. I want this so badly for you, right? If, if, because it works the other way too. If we are constantly filling our minds with what is true, then we will start to see that truth lived out in our lives. If we are constantly filling our minds with earthly things and worldly philosophies, then we shouldn't be surprised when that's what comes out of us. And Paul is saying in verse 16 that this reality informs what we do when we gather together as the gathering of believers, as the church. We teach one another the wisdom found in God's word. We admonish, we correct one another, not based on our preferences, but based on the standard of God's word. We sing songs that are based on the truth of God's word. The songs that we sing should inform and affirm our theology. So why did we sing about the majesty and the holiness of God? Because that's how God has revealed himself to us in his word. How do we know that though our sins are many, his mercy is more? Is is that just a happy thought that makes it easier to cope with our brokenness? No, it is a truth revealed to us in the word. So brothers and sisters, don't let the truth of God's word be foreign to your thinking. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The Bible is not meant to be an external rule book. It's an internal guide. So, so this, is, this is transformation. We have a heart that is ruled by the peace of Christ, a mind that is dwelling on the word of Christ, and the destination we will be led to is verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Because Jesus is our mediator through which we have access to the Father. A life of thankfulness is enabled by the peace of Christ ruling, the word of Christ dwelling, and the worship of Christ compelling. We will live a life of gratitude when our words and actions are compelled by worship. This is the destination of following Jesus. So if you're thinking about it and wondering where that's going to lead you, here's your preview right here. This is what it is. We are being led to worship. We are being called to worship. No matter where we are, no matter what we are doing, we are doing all in his name because we value him more than anything else. And this shouldn't be a shock to you, especially if you've been around church for a while, because this is why we were created. 
in the first place. We were created to worship Jesus. All things were created through him and for him. And after we rebelled against that purpose, this is why we have been recreated. This is why we have new life in Christ. This is why we have a new identity in Christ. So we can do what we were created to do in the first place. To demonstrate his supreme value in everything. And it might be helpful for you if you, if you saw worship as the opposite of sin. Because we've been saying that sin is anything we think, say, or do that is not in submission to the authority of Jesus. And I would say worship is everything we think, say, and do that is in submission to the authority of Jesus. So, so worship is not limited to our times with each other. Right? Worship doesn't end at 11.05 p.m. or whatever time we wrap up this morning. No, it is only limited by a lack of submission to Christ. Worship is not limited to our times with each other. It is limited by our lack of submission to Christ. When Jesus is on the throne of our heart, when his word is filling your mind, when he is supreme in your affections, then worship will always be the natural response because we naturally give worth and priority to whoever or whatever we value the most. But when we set our affections on other things, when we value money and comfort and convenience and popularity and anything else more than we value Jesus, we will always aim our worship elsewhere. And this verse gives a test that is both helpful and convicting, just to warn you, for whether our words and actions are truly compelled by the worship of Jesus Here's the test. If you can't do it in the name of Jesus, don't do it. If you can't do it in the name of Jesus, don't do it. If you can't say it in the name of Jesus, don't say it. Do everything. Do everything in word and deed in the name of the Lord Jesus without using his name in vain. Imagine if that was our standard for everything we do, right? Can I do this in Jesus' name? That's the question we should be asking ourselves. Like, think back through your last week. Would your words and would your actions have been any different if you were asking yourself, can I do this in Jesus' name? Can I say this and and then put Jesus' name on it, right? Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus because that's where your identity is. That's who rules your heart. That's that's who your mind dwells on. So let's get practical. If you can't submit your taxes this year and say, in Jesus' name, amen, you need to start your taxes over again. (laughs) That's what you have to do. That's what you have to do. If, if, if you can't finish your work day and say, in Jesus' name, amen. If you can't parent your children and then say, in Jesus' name, amen. If you can't surf the internet and say, in Jesus' name, amen. If you can't scroll through social media and say, in Jesus' name, amen, then it's a sign that you are not living in submission to his authority and glory. This out with the old, in with the new transformation is 
is leading us to be able to put Jesus' name on everything that we do and everything that we say. Because in the new self, Christ is all and in all. Amen, church? Everything is in Jesus' name. And I don't know about you, but as I've thought about my week, I still do way too many things in the name of Tim Pine. Anyone want to share in saying, yeah, I'm convicted by that too? Just me? That's fine. Okay, that's fine. You can leave me up here alone. That's great. I don't trust you right now, but fine, okay? I do way too many things in the name of Tim Pine, and maybe you do too many things in your own name too, because my flesh always says, what about me? Right? What about me? What's best for me? What's easiest for me? What's immediate gratification for me? And when we live that way, you know, you know what suffers besides just our witness and our, our unity with each other? Our gratitude. Nothing kills gratitude faster than doing things in your own name. Because our flesh is never satisfied. Right? It's always hungry for more and more and more. And if I just had a little bit more. So, so you always feel like you are lacking something. So how can you be thankful if you're lacking so much? But when we are filled with Jesus, when he is ruling our hearts, when he is filling our minds, when our words and our actions are in his name and not our own, thankfulness will always be the result will always be the result because the life we have in Christ is so much better than the life that we tried to live on our own and for our own name. So if you're here today and you are frustrated, right? you aren't content with the hand that you have been dealt in this life, you feel like you've tried your best but it never seems to be enough, or, or maybe you just know that you've been living for yourself and it's never as fulfilling as you expect and you're always wanting more and you're always wondering what the next thing is going to be, I want you to hear the good news of the gospel today. The reason that you haven't found fulfillment in yourself is because that's not who you were created for. We were made to find fulfillment in worshiping and being connected to Jesus. But because we've all rebelled against his authority, we were all separated from a holy God because of our sin against him. And because we couldn't get to God on our own, God came to us in the person of Jesus. And Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I should have lived. And then Jesus died the death that you and I deserve to die he took the just punishment for all the sins we committed against him on himself at the cross. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is so much more. Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered sin and the grave. And, and, and so if you come to the end of yourself and you turn from your sin and you turn from your brokenness and instead place your faith in the perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection of Jesus. If, if you make Jesus the king of your life, saying, Jesus, I want you to rule my heart. I want you to fill my mind. I want your truth to change me from the inside out. All your sins are forgiven. The righteousness of Jesus credited to your account. You become part of the eternal family of God. You have a new identity. You can put on the new self where Christ is all and in all. You can do what you were created to do. Worship 
Jesus, submitting to his authority and living for his glory in everything we do. Because church, our worship of Christ should be as constant as our identity in Christ. Our worship of Christ should be as constant as our identity in Christ. So if your identity doesn't change when you leave this room, then your worship shouldn't either. If you are still in Christ when you leave this room, then you should be doing everything in the name of Jesus. He is your identity. Our worship should be as constant as our identity. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have not just given us an external set of rules that we have to try to conform our lives to. Thank you that Jesus came to transform us from the inside out. So I pray if there's anyone here today that has never surrendered their lives to Jesus, saying, I don't want to be the king of my heart anymore. I want Jesus to be king. I want him to reign. I pray that today would be the day that they find their identity, not in what they have done, but they find their identity in Christ, in Christ alone. And I pray for those of us who are followers of Jesus, who have embraced Christ as our king. I pray that your peace would rule in our hearts. I pray that your truth would fill our minds. And I pray that whatever we do, in word or deed, that we'd be able to put Jesus' name on it. Because we are in Christ. We belong to you. I pray our worship would be as constant as our identity. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. I pray that Christ would be all and in all. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.